seated. Lord, as we look into your word this morning, may you awaken our hearts, quicken our minds to understand what you're teaching us. Give us a spirit that embraces the mission you've given us to make sure that disciples are made all over the world. Thank you, Lord, that we have this privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to do a very short sermon this morning. Amen. Okay. Uh, So that we have plenty of time for Claudia to share. uh, And we already got a wonderful uh, beginning of that last evening, and that was great. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. But I thought it would be appropriate to... um, I don't even know if it's really a sermon or a summary more of uh, what the Bible does teach us about the need for going on mission. Of course, we know that no one comes to faith in Christ without the Holy Spirit drawing them through the Word. But God has given people the privilege of being part of His mission. And so we celebrate that. I hope that we will be encouraged to share Christ with our friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, basically anyone that God puts within our sphere of contacts. Uh, And I pray as well that we will be encouraged to support those who are willing to uh, go even further than that. One of the passages we hear quite often... um, when we talk about missions, it's from Romans 10. But as you know, I like to put things in context, and I don't want to pluck just verse 14 to 15 out like often we do. So I'm going to start at verse 5. And be paying attention to hear, hear what Paul is writing about faith. And then near the end, he gets to a part where we find out how that faith comes, how people need to hear it from someone who shares it. So it says this in verse 5 and moving on from Romans chapter 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And isn't that the truth? When someone is presented the gospel for the first time, it's because God was the seeker and they didn't ask for him, but he brought himself into their lives. And he does that in many ways and through many people. I found a, a few quotes I'm going to share about missions. The first, you might have heard of this guy, Charles Spurgeon, because I mention him every now and then. He said this, If there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at a white heat, it is concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is in the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. First Chronicles 16.24 shows us that even in the Old Testament we saw that it was important for people to declare God's glory. It says, Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Another quote I found was from Henry Martin. He said this, The Spirit of Christ is the spirit of missions. And the nearer we get to him, the more intensely missionary we must become. It's a good quote, isn't it? The more close you get to Christ, the more intense your desire to be on his mission ought to be. Mark 13.10 we see that the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And I don't have the context here. I know this. But the context is what is going to happen in the end times. But first, Jesus said, the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. I'll give three more quick quotes here. This is Christopher J.H. Wright. So when I speak of mission... I'm thinking of all that God is doing in his great purpose for the whole of creation and all that he calls us to do in cooperation with that purpose. James Stewart, it's not the wonderful life guy. <laughs> the driving force of the early Christian mission was not propaganda of beautiful ideas of the brotherhood of man. It was a proclamation of the mighty acts of God. And again, Christopher J.H. Wright, the mission of God's people is not a matter of how great we are at doing things for God, but a matter of how patient and persistent God is in doing things through us. Oh, the truth that's there. So many, and, I, and if you've been to any kind of Alliance missions things, you've heard of this um, 
probably before, how many people served years and years, maybe even decades, and maybe even generations of missionaries served in the same spot with almost no fruit visible. And then all of a sudden, in fact, a few years ago at General Council, they were talking about Syria. The alliance was there, I don't remember the exact years, but it was nearly 100 years, I think. And nothing really happened for many, 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 many years. And then an explosion of gospel fruit. So missions work is fruitful. It's not always visible immediately. And the patient and persistent work that the workers do is really what God is doing. Um, Colossians 1.6, Paul is talking about the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So Paul is acknowledging that church wouldn't exist unless the gospel had come there. Neither would Oasis Church exist if the gospel had not been brought here. Um, the last uh, passage is also one that's very familiar. Um, the Great Commission. Matthew 28, and I'm going to go from 16 to 20. Um, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. This is after the resurrection, by the way. It's still somewhere like, oh, what's happening here? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the greatest statement of delegation, I believe, in history. Do you know what delegation is? So if you had a boss and he said, I'm making you the supervisor of these people, you make sure all of this gets done. But you're not supposed to do it all yourself. You're supposed to appoint others to do certain tasks and work. Jesus says here, first of all, he gives the authority for the delegation. What authority does Jesus have to make this act of delegation? All. (laughs) It's all authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now Jesus has said, there's no higher authority. I have all the authority, and I have authority to delegate here the following. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Gospel proclamation is a huge part of missions, but it's not the only part. Once the gospel is proclaimed and once someone comes to faith in Christ, now there's a further obligation of the church to make sure that that person learns more about God and how to live the life of faith And so, therefore, CMA workers are not just in and out of there. They stay the course. 
Our, our, when I say CMA workers, it's what we call missionaries. <laughs> and then all the international workers, right, we call them, because so I'm a CMA worker too, I guess, in a sense. But they don't go there just to proclaim the gospel and then leave town. These aren't just kind of a weekend tent meeting and then you never see the person who preached to you again. These are people that go and live among people sometimes for years before those ears can be receptive to the gospel. So they, they have to stay the course. Sometimes they pass it on to the next person. Maybe a person has a few years there to, to do some initial tilling of soil, so to speak. And then someone else comes in to take over from that step. Some people stay for, in one spot for decades. Um, and sometimes there's even family that take over the same mission too. It's a beautiful thing. But they're not just there to proclaim the gospel. They're there to obey the Great Commission, which is to make disciples. And so they stay the course. So that's really all I was going to say this morning, just to, to give you some, something from the Word. But I want, uh, to, in a moment, to have Claudia come up and share what's on her heart and what's going on. Uh, they've, they've had a long uh, service already, and... It was very interesting to hear her story last night and how the Lord brought her to where she is along with her husband. And they're a team, and that's awesome. So, uh, so I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to have Claudia come up and share. And uh, I want you to give her your full attention uh, and let the Lord speak to you as well about how you may help by praying for missions and for giving financially to missions as well. But we don't want to do that because we're nagging you. We want you to do it because the Holy Spirit works in your heart through God's word to cause you to have an energy and the desire to do that. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. I pray, Lord, for Claudia as she comes up that we may be encouraged to hear her stories and what's going on in the missions uh, that she's been involved with and and other things that she's going to tell us. Lord, may your word speak to us this morning. May we be challenged to share the gospel in uh, our own situations. And for those who are willing to go far, far away to share the gospel, to uproot their own lives and go, we pray, Lord, that uh, we would have an opportunity always that we could joyfully partner with them. Bless, bless our whole CMA family this morning, Lord, as we, uh, we know all over the world there are believers gathered together to worship your holy name in spirit and in truth because someone went. Someone heeded the call. When you said, who will go? They said, send me. Bless them, Lord. Bless their ministries with fruit. Bless them with the patience and perseverance to finish the job that you've called them to. In Jesus' name, amen. Claudia. Oh, you've got the mic. Okay. Thank you. Yes, I think that's good. Yeah. Thank you. 
some of the things you already, the pastor already talked about were things that I was thinking about, but I'm going to put it in a little different way. Um, I shared last night, you know, that I came from a Christian family, and so uh, my parents were missionaries in Ecuador, and so I learned about the Lord from the moment I was born, I think. <laughs> and um, But it wasn't until I was about 14 or 15 years old um, I was in the Alliance dorm in Quito, Ecuador, studying there nine months out of the year. And it was my dorm mother who I learned a lot from also. And I would go to uh, accompany her when she was invited to other uh, speaking engagements to women or to a church. And so I learned a lot from her about tithing and about having your personal devotions, your personal relationship with Christ. So it was around that age, 14, 15, that um, my roommate and I, we decided we're going to wake up just a little bit earlier than the buzzer that wakes us up to start getting ready for school and breakfast. And uh, we're going to just spend time alone with the Lord in his word and and prayer. And um, most of that time, uh, it it became a habit for me. But most of that time I was reading in the New Testament, you know, going through the New Testament. I knew, I read a little bit of Psalms and Proverbs. I knew Genesis and Exodus. But I didn't read too much more than that. And uh, especially Leviticus, Numbers, Song of Solomon, I I didn't even want to read those. Because they seemed boring to me. I didn't understand it. But it wasn't until I went to college. I went to Tacoma Falls College. And there, um, you know, I went to prepare myself to go uh, back to Latin America, I figured, or some Spanish-speaking country, to continue in the footsteps of my mom and dad. Um, And it was there then that I took an Old Testament class. There was one semester for Old Testament and one for New And in the Old Testament class, uh, the teacher challenged us to, well, didn't challenge us. It was homework. I had to do it. I had no choice if I wanted to pass the class. But it was the best assignment, and I learned so much. And we had to read all the Old Testament from um, Genesis to Malachi. We had to, with each chapter, write a summary of what that chapter talked to us about. So that was the first time I had read the Old Testament from beginning to end. But it wasn't until another class that I had, um, and it talked especially uh, about the whole Bible. And he called the title of his class, The Progress of Redemption. Because really, if you look at it from Genesis to um, Revelation, thank you. I just about said it in Spanish and I had to stop. But when you look at it from beginning to end from the Bible, there's one theme, and that is the progress of redemption. And those of us who have, um, probably most of us, if not all, who we know the Bible, we know the Bible stories, and we know that God created man and, and women, and he created them very good, it said. They were perfect. They had a perfect relationship with each other. Imagine that, those of us who are married. A perfect relationship. And they had a perfect relationship with God, the Father. 
who would come and visit with them every day, look for them. But then that fateful day came when Eve was um, deceived by Satan and Adam disobeyed. And then this is what we're living today. The chaos that we see in relationships, the hurts, the, the anger, bitterness, the, the chaos that we're living today. What used to be good is now bad. And what used to be bad morally is now good. Everything has changed, and it's all a result of this sin. Because now we are born with that sin in us. But God had a plan. He didn't leave us in our sin and forget about us. He had a plan. And that plan is a progress of redemption. And right when he was even um, talking to, to Satan, who um, took the form of a snake, and to Adam and Eve, telling them the consequences of their sin, he gave them a promise that through the woman, the Savior would be born and would crush Satan's um, head. He would hurt the, uh, the heel of the woman or of Christ, but Satan would crush the works. And we hear, we read of that in 1 John chapter 3, right? That Christ um, came to destroy the works of the devil. And so when Christ came, he fulfilled those promises. We see it all through the Old Testament, his promise for the Messiah. We see it in the Psalms. As I was studying and preparing this, I was surprised to, to uh, learn that in the, just the book of Psalms, there are 70 or more references to Christ. And they were fulfilled when Christ came on the earth. They were all fulfilled. But we also read of it in, in Hosea. We read of, um, of Jesus in, in Micah and in Zechariah. And especially in Isaiah, that's probably our most well-known one, Isaiah 53, but also 714 where he's promised to come be born of a virgin. But I want to read to you uh, one that you probably don't think of much, but it's talking about the Savior, and that is in uh, Isaiah 42, verse 6, 6 and 7. This is God talking about his son, and he says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you, and I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. And this is what Christ did. He fulfilled um, everything that the... And, um, here I go in Spanish again. I'm sorry. In Old Testament prophecies he fulfilled in the gospels and we read of that and there's still more to come because he's coming again so we see this throughout the bible the progress and redemption and now he has given as pastor was saying he has given us the charge of sharing the gospel of jesus christ sharing about this redemption sharing how christ forgives our sins and we can have that relationship restored with god the father and so that is why um, in the New Testament, when John uh, talks about Jesus, you know, in that first chapter, he becomes the light of man. He is our life, and he is our light. But also, he told his disciples that they now were the light of the earth. We are the light of the earth, and we are to go to the nations. And he's chosen us, as, as we read right now in, in Matthew 28, that 
we now have, are to go to the world and preach the gospel of all nations. God has always had the whole nations in his mind. He, Israel was to show um, how God expected his people to live, and they were to share of the uh, news of, of Jehovah. And now he's also given that charge to us as a church. And this is why we still go and send missionaries to all the nations. All of you are doing your work here at the Great Commission. You're going out to your neighbors. I've heard testimonies, even with the host, our host family right now in Lake Worth, how they go to the parks or how they share with the people at work. They share Christ, and people are coming to the Lord. So as you do that here, you have also, as a church, sent Steve and I and another 700 people to all parts of the world to share this good news of God's redemption. And so that's what we've been doing for the last nine years in, in Spain. Before that, we were working in Latin America. And in, in Spain, you know, at first, you go there with your past experience, and you think God is going to do everything exactly the same. No, <laughs> it wasn't the same. Last night, I was sharing that, um, that in Colombia, it was almost like a revival. If it wasn't a revival, it was like a revival. And people coming to the Lord all the time. I'd get to know my neighbors. Neighbors had the great privilege of helping them come to know the Lord and discipling them. I mean, it, was, it was awesome. It was great. We saw a lot of fruit. But then in Spain, it didn't happen that way. But my, our first uh, call for to go to Spain was to become, for my husband, a uh, teacher for our, the Bible Institute that they had just begun in 2011, 2012, somewhere around there, and they needed teachers. And um, so they wanted Steve to go for that. So um, I had to find my way and what I was doing again and what the ministry that Lord had for me. But as never before since we didn't have any children going with us, we were able to work more closely together and have a ministry together. So as he taught, um, he was teaching pastors, who, people who are already pastors, but also future pastors who are today pastors of some of our churches. Uh, just last night, Steve and I were online watching another graduation ceremony. Um, with five different people who had finished the three-year uh, course uh, in our Bible seminary. These are people who are work working full-time. They're already ministering in their churches, and they feel um, they want to know more about Jesus. They want to learn how to study the Bible. They want to be able to um, be knowledgeable so God can use them even in a more powerful way to be able to answer questions, to learn about apologetics, to learn how to share the gospel. And this is what we do in the uh, Bible Institute. The last four years, Steve has been the, the director of our Bible Institute. He doesn't like administration work, but we had a great team there that he had to work with, and it's still going on strong. And they did find another person to take uh, Steve's place. But it, during that time, these last years, um, Steve has always, he has a gift of evangelism, so he gets a lot of invitations to different churches, and I was able to go with him, travel with him, get to know pastors, 
um, get to know, um, Mia had the privilege of getting to know their wives, uh, become friends with them, uh, support them in, in prayer, listen to their problems, cry with them, pray with them. And Steve, would um, was he also has a gift of encouragement, so he was able to encourage our pastors to go on to help them as, uh, to find out what the Lord wanted them to do when problems come up in the church, because they do come up, <laughs> unfortunately. But in all that, we learn, and we, if they just needed someone to share with and to pray with them. And so this is what we were been able to do the last nine years. I just wanted to give you a testimony of uh, a couple people here. Um, Herman, he's Colombian. Now, most of our church growth in Spain is amongst immigrants, immigrants from South America, immigrants from China, immigrants from Africa. Um, those are the people that God is especially working in as they're far from their country, their culture, their family, and they are coming to know the Lord as they go through difficult times. And this is how our church has been growing in Spain lately. Not so much among Spaniards, and I'll tell you why in just a little bit. But Herman is a Colombian. He came from Colombia. Um, his wife, someone had shared the gospel with her. She had prayed. And, um, but when she talked to her husband about the Lord, he didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, on weekends, he would tell her, I'm going to leave home and I'm going to do whatever I want, and I don't want you to look for me. I don't want you to call me. I'll come back Sunday night. So she never knew what he was up to. But he now says, you know, he would go out drinking and with friends and partying and all kinds of different things that he shouldn't have done. But during Monday through Thursday, he was a good husband, and he was a good father to their four children. But he didn't want anything to do with the Lord. Uh, when Spain opened up their doors for Latin Americans to go and, and help in the workforce, um, in construction, and all different kinds of works that the Spaniards didn't necessarily want to do, um, he went and he got a good job uh, working in a fruit store. Uh, he was doing so well, he decided to do on, go out on his own. He, had, he went by himself, but then when he could, um, he had enough money, he brought his wife and their youngest son. But their business didn't go well. In fact, they went bankrupt, and to this day, they're still paying um, debt they have from that. But it was during this time he finally started listening to his wife. So they decided to go to the church, and he gave his life to the Lord. And he was discipled in that church um, where we worked for four years. The first four years we were there. And he took informa and took classes um, with that. He graduated la this past year. Um, I think it was in May. Was it in May? No, not this past year. Last year, May. He graduated from Informa. And today, he's the, the lead pastor in the church. Amazing ministry. Loves the Lord. He's um, become a, a good preacher. He loves studying the word. And his life is, uh, is completely changed. And his youngest son is following in his footsteps, loves the Lord also, working, is, is working with the youth in the church. And this, the change in them is now working as a couple. Uh, it's just it's so great to see what God is doing in his life. 
And then there's two other young single girls. They're twins. They came from Ecuador. And they knew um, the gospel, but they were just Sunday goers. They only went there on Sunday. They worked hard during the week, but weekends was to party. So they would go to the discotheque and go dancing with whoever would invite them and, and drink. And then on Sunday, they'd be all nice and dressed up and in church. And they lived that for, for several years until one day through the pastor's sermon and through the Holy Spirit convicting them, they decided that wasn't the way to live. They wanted to give their hearts fully to the Lord. In their work, they share the gospel with all those that they work with. And um, on weekends, they're working with the youth. They're working um, in the church. They do. In fact, we've had to tell them you can't say yes to everything because they never rest. Uh, before we, before we um, came to the States, I asked her. I had him over to the house. And for the first time, she just laid out on our sofa and fell asleep. And so when she got, got up, I said, are you sleeping at all? Because I knew she was doing a lot of things. And so she said, a little bit. So evidently, she was only sleeping three or four hours at night, trying to get everything done that she wanted to do because her passion for her Lord, she just wants to work, work, work. But she also needs to rest her body or she's not going to last very long that way. But these are two girls that I've seen how God has changed their lives also, living for the Lord. They both graduated from Informa, which is the name of our Bible Institute, and are serving the Lord. Um, Virginia, uh, the one sister, is now missions coordinator for the Alliance in Spain. And her sister, Jimena, is, um, works in the Informa team, the Bible Institute team, um, she's the administrator and keeps everything going. And so the Lord is really using them. Um, also, they have ministries in the church. And now Virginia is also the secretary for the Alliance in Spain. So keep praying because the Lord is doing his work. He's building his church. Now, you would th- probably thinking, but you go to share the gospel, right? So how did we do that? Our neighbors were all, almost all Spaniards, except for maybe a couple people that we met. That one was from Argentina and one from Brazil. But the rest were all Spaniards. So when we got there, um, I had a, have a custom that I've done all our missionary career, and that is, you know, every four years you have to move. So I would always ask the Lord, how do I get to know my neighbors? Because they have no reason to get to know me. They have their friends. They have their families. But I have all the reason to get to know them so that I can share the gospel with them so they can know Jesus in a personal way. Um, among Spaniards, though, it was very difficult. They would talk to you about anything. They're wonderful people. They'll talk to you about everything. But when you start talking about spiritual things, they're very indifferent. They don't want to know anymore. Part of that reason is because of what happened while Franco, who was their dictator for 40 years or more, um, he united with the Catholic Church. And there was a lot of uh, killing. He killed a lot of people uh, that were on his side. And so the younger generation today, they don't want to know anything 
about the Catholic Church or about religion at all. Because for many centuries, for centuries too, they were under the Moorish rule, um, rule you know, with uh, Islam. And so they just have kind of turned away. Plus, they're in Europe, right? And so the postmodernism has gotten in there. And so because of these different reasons, they just, you know, it's okay for you, but, and they respected us. No one ever tried to challenge us. They just didn't talk about it. They wouldn't respond. And so it was very difficult and discouraging. And sometimes I would say, what, what are we doing here if we can't share the gospel? But we lived in apartment buildings like most people do there. And we, we would share, it was different buildings in a, like a, in a rectangular. And in the middle, we shared a swimming pool for, to swim in the summer and grassy area and playground and things like that. And we would see our neighbors sitting out there in their little groups, you know, with their friends that they had made and the kids playing all around them. And we th- would look out our window and we'd say, how do we get in? They already have, know each other. How do we, just, do we just go and dump ourselves right there? And so, again, I prayed and um, asked the Lord. And actually, it was Steve that gave me the first idea. I said, let's go and just pass out cookies to him. I thought, that's kind of strange. <laughs> I had never been led of the Lord to do that before. So um, as I kept praying about it, um, it so happened that at that time in the two different churches we had been involved in, they wanted me to, they love American pastries, uh, postres, how do you say that? Desserts, desserts. And so they had asked me to give a workshop in, in teaching them different American desserts cheesecake, that's one of their favorite, brownies is their favorite. So I taught them this brownie recipe that I used all my years in Colombia, and it was not working. It didn't turn out good. So I decided, okay, I'm going to find two different recipes, and I'm going to make them. We're going to go out to our neighbors, and I'm going to explain to them, I need to know which one you like best, and that's the one I'm going to teach. And it worked. It opened their hearts to us, they invited us to sit in with them. All the kids, of course, came and got brownies. And from that day on, they would greet us. They would um, always be real nice to us. And even when my husband had COVID, when COVID started, he got, he got it right when it was beginning. And um, our neighbors in front of us, they would come knocking on the door and stand back far, of course, with our masks on. And he would say, do you need anything from the store? because they knew that I probably shouldn't go out either since, since my husband had COVID. They were just so helpful all the time. And they would take me places that I needed to go or invite me to go with them shopping or whatever. And the Lord just used brownies to open our friend's door. So since it was difficult to share the gospel with them, how did we do it? So we took advantage of the, the holidays of Thanksgiving. They had no idea of the history of Thanksgiving. And so we were able to share, you know, invite a couple families, and Steve would uh, share to them the history of Thanksgiving and have each person, even the kids, give one thing they were thankful for. And they couldn't repeat each other, so that was good. But also after that, he would then share the gospel, what we were thankful for for our salvation through Jesus Christ. 
And then we would eat. Of course, no one would say a word. We would always say, okay, if you want to know more, just let us know and we will gladly study the Bible with you. But no one ever came. On Christmas, we would do a, a similar thing, something we learned from in Colombia from our years. They have the nine nights before Christmas. They invite family and friends for a meal, and they pray to Mary and Joseph. It's a Catholic thing. And then sing some of their fun songs, like Jingle Bell kind of songs, and, um, and then eat together. So we did this in Spain, took it there, and we invited our neighbors, all those who had children, and um, that we had gotten to know through that experience of visiting with them outside. And they came, except for the fathers. The mothers came with the children. And again, we would use that time. We would read the Bible, and we would pray but to Jesus. It was Steve and I would pray. And we prayed to Jesus, but we also, he would also share the gospel at that time, too. And again, open the invitation. So this is how we had to do it. When COVID hit, we had to think of another way to do it, which the Lord showed. I like crafts, and so making cards. And um, we put the, they had the gospel written in the card, even more fully than what we could even say. So they have it there written. When we, it was time to come to the States, um, it was kind of hard knowing that we're not going back, and not one of them prayed to receive the Lord, not one. And it's hard to leave them that way. But as um, Pastor, you were saying, you know, sometimes we don't get to see what we, um, the seeds that we sow. But our prayer is that I'm even praying that the Lord will send Christians to take that same apartment that we had that would continue the, to share the gospel, hopefully. Maybe another Christian Spaniard, maybe they would listen more to them. Um, but there is one person that is now reading the Bible. So it's a step to step forward. And you know the word will not come back void. So maybe it will be through them who live there already. I don't know. But we praise the Lord that he is doing his work. And though we didn't see much fruit among our Spanish friends, our Spaniards, um, I know the Lord is working. There are other churches that have more Spaniards in them, and some of our churches have a few Spaniards in them. But usually it's because they're married to a Latin American, and so they come to the church that way and get to know the Lord that way. One of our pastors from this last church we're at, um, he, she did not follow, she was not really following close to the Lord and married an unbeliever, a Spaniard. They met through the internet. And they got married, and she was not really going to church or doing anything. But when she had her second child, who was there, said he was going to die, she reached out and looked for a Peruvian pastor and found this church where we were. And the pastor went and uh, shared the gospel with them, prayed for their child. Their child was healed. And he gave his heart to the Lord. And now him and his wife are lead pastors of this, probably one of the biggest churches that we have in, in all of Spain. So the Lord does the work. He'll do it somehow. They're coming slowly but surely, but they're coming. And um, 
you know, I just, we just have to trust the Lord. Now, July 1st of next year, Steve and I will be retiring from the mission. In other words, we won't be going back to Spain. And that's what made it harder to leave because we, don't, we won't be going back. But also, as you, you've been hearing this weekend, as you listen about missions, it's so important to continue to pray. Pray for missionaries to take our place. Um, I was at the district conference. Were you there, Pastor, at the district conference? How many missionaries do we have right now in the southeastern district? Was it 12 that are said they're interested in, and wouldn't, are willing to go as missionaries? So, you know, pray that God will continue to send missionaries. The work is not done yet. There's, um, I don't know if you've heard of Joshua Project. It's, it's uh, how to pray for groups of people who still don't know about Jesus. Don't, some of them don't even have the Bible in their language. And no known Christians from those groups. So our, our work is not done. So we need to keep um, sending missionaries to continue this work. And pray for Spain. You know, they never had the Reformation. They didn't, they didn't do that. They had the, the, how do you say it in English, Inquisition? They didn't have the Reformation. Italy, Spain, and, and Portugal are very tied to the Catholic Church. And they, like I said, some, some people, like I had neighbors told me I'm Catholic, but not practicing, non-practicing Catholic. I know they are, they're all around, not just in Spain, but so they, it's like their excuse. I, I know enough, but I don't need any more, right? So there are some of those, too. But um, we need to continue to pray for these countries, especially, too, that have never had that reformation, never have had a revival, um, and are growing slowly but surely. But I know God has not forgotten them, and we have other missionaries that are there, who are working, especially the majority of them are working among Muslims because we have a lot of Moroccans and people that come from Africa who are um, Islamic. So we have several teams working there. And this is a group that's really hard because they you know, support each other and it's hard to leave Islam. So continue to pray for, for Spain. Um, if you look up on the, on the um, CMA uh, website, it won't always give you the names, but it'll give you some information so you can continue to pray. And just pray that the Lord will open Spaniards to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you for, for listening. Thank you for praying, for caring about missions. Thank you for your work here. Because we couldn't do it without you. I mean, we've been with the Alliance 40 years and always been provided. Never. Did we go hungry? Never. And the Lord has always provided. So we're working together. We're a team. <laughs> and so continue, continue to keep missions in the forefront. And as Pastor said, he had some good quotes up there. It's on the Lord's heart. He's always looking to the nations. And let me finish with um, a verse in, in Revelations. Chapter 7, I think it is. Okay, this minute, now i got to remember what verse it was. 
yeah, 7, 9 and 10. Okay, chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 says, this is, you know, John's vision. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is what we're working towards. We're going to be there with all our brothers and sisters from all around the world, from every tongue, and we're going to understand each other. <laughs> so praise the Lord for what he's doing. He is building his church, and he's using us to continue to share that progress of redemption that he began way back when Adam and Eve first decided to disobey. So praise the Lord for his work. I put together now a, a PowerPoint just for you to see um, some of these faces of, you're going to see some of the people that I was talking about, our neighbors. Um, I didn't put most neighbors up there. I forgot to talk about one thing, though, if I can interject this. One of the most exciting things that happened there was as we visited the churches, we realized, you know, they also have the name missionary in their church, in their church name. Um, but nothing was, much was said at all about missions. And so Steve um, felt led to, to do a missions conference for all of our churches, not just for one little church, but for all our alliance churches in Spain. And from that first time that we had that in 2019, um, that is where Virginia, the one girl I talked to you about, is now our missions coordinator. She felt called to do that. So she is, um, this next weekend, will be the fourth um, national missions convention um, in Granada, Spain, for all the alliance. And um, also from her, she has started, has reached out to all the churches, has visited all the churches, or most of them. And from each church, she's tried to get at least one person to become the missions coordinator in their church, to bring missions alive in their church, to talk about missions, to pray for missions, to get people on board. And now they start out, have started out uh, last year having mission teams. They went to Jordan, and they've gone to... Um, we're starting a church plant in Asturias, which is in the northern part of Spain, has very little evangelical churches there. And um, so they sent a team up there, and they did street evangelism. And so she's doing all this. Virginia's doing all this, all from the start of that first vision that the Lord, I think, gave to Steve. And we just praise the Lord that now it is a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church of Spain. And we sent out our very first missionary that is, they are supporting 100%. It doesn't come from the, here in the States. It's them. It's our churches supporting them. And we have some small churches, but they are supporting her. And so we just praise the Lord because she is now, she's a linguist working with Wycliffe, sent by the Alliance and supported by the Alliance. And she is now working in um, I'm not supposed to say where, but she is going to be translating the Bible, and she's finally been able to start learning the language. And she is just so excited because this is what she's dreamt since she became a Christian. So praise the Lord that he is building his church, and he is using now Span, 
Spain, Spain <laughs> to go to send missionaries to, even though they're a young church. So we praise the Lord for that. So this is what you're going to see, a little bit of the work that we did. Beside. 